Have we got a show for you? I've no idea what we'll do. Welcome, my friends, to this charming tableau. Have we got a show for you? Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Strangely and Friends, the podcast. My name is Strangely. This is the podcast. And if you're listening to it, that makes you one of the friends. I hope you've all had a great week. I've had a really good week. It's been very quiet here in this isolated cabin where I find myself uh, having a lot of free time, but more on that later. Uh, let's see, I've got to comment on something current events Look, I know we're all doing new projects and different things, and I have always wanted to plant a seed and have it grow. Like, I, I sprouted bean seeds back when I was in school as a kid, but I am growing a pot of basil, and I planted a little seeds, and I've been watering them up every day, and they, they kind of started to, like, do little, like, little green, like, tentacle things, uh, but they are actually little tiny plants now, and the photos attached to this episode are that. I, I have this little digital microscope thing, so one of them is, like, a digital microscope of it, and then I'm gonna try to get a photo of it with my regular phone camera, but... I have babies, little plant babies, and I'm really excited about it because they're going to grow and they're going to get bigger and then I'm going to eat them. <laughs> it reminds me of that Ron Swanson quote from Parks and Rec where he says, I love fishing. It's like yoga, but at the end I get to kill something. Ah, there. I've commented on something in the current zeitgeist. Now let us speak of it no more. Strangely recommends in 200 words or less, including these 11. Who imposed this rule? Seneca's Letters to Lucilius. These essays by the ancient Roman philosopher Seneca are a delight to read. Often credited with codifying Stoic thought, Seneca's work revolved around pondering how to be a good person through living a good life and dying well. Even if not Every piece of advice in them has aged gracefully, there is still much gold among the dross. Seneca's thoughts on the treatment of slaves and the poor are, to put it lightly, so BCE. What emerges is the mind of a man using humor to wrestle with life's big questions. Grief, gardening, exercise, and boring interlocutors are just some of the topics mic dropped by this laconic wit. For example, Seneca's disdain for the popular practice in his day of bringing braziers to the table so that the food would be piping hot goes thus. Luxury has already devised this fashion of having the kitchen accompany the dinner so that the food may not grow lukewarm or fail to be hot enough for the palates which become like leather. His recommendation of only eating porridge? Less entertaining. So there is no chat with a guest this week because I'm in an isolated place and all of us are isolated. But if you have a guest that you've always wanted to hear me interact with or ask questions of, I don't care if it's a famous celebrity, anything, please send a message to me uh, either at my email or through Patreon and I will attempt to contact them. Even if I just get like a stock letter back from their, like, their people, I'll read that on the podcast. And I'm sure that'll be good for 
some amusement for all of us. So yeah, hopefully I'll have a guest next week. Here's a thought. Sometimes you can go home. With the overabundance of alone time I've had the last couple of months, I've finally been able to hear myself think. Please understand, I do not shun the fellowship of other people, but I do have some difficulty finding my own quiet center when I cannot get enough alone time. Of late, I have for the first time in my adult life finally found enough of it. Some might argue too much. Generally, I feel as though there are never quite enough hours in the day. As a result, I multitask whenever I can. For instance, if you see me running through town on my way to class or the pub, I'm probably letting my phone read a PDF of some schoolwork to me. So to this podcast, I wanted to perform every week and maybe get paid a bit for it, but those two things seemed difficult while I was in school, so I created a new outlet for myself. When I say I finally have enough alone time, what I'm really getting at is the glorious ability to only do a single thing at a time and do it, well, if not well, at least better than usual. My favorite thing has been the time to digest things. Usually if I get enough time to watch a film, I have to think about it while I'm trying to pay attention in a lecture or talk about it with a friend, thus conferring an ulterior motive onto a conversation that should just exist for its own sake. Granted, sometimes this becomes a delightful podcast in its own right, like, say, Pilot House. But in general, it can be frustrating to not be able to fully immerse yourself in something. So to find myself with the ability to fully digest things again is, well, it's like that first bite of cake after you finally decide you don't care if you ever look like Wolverine. D don't worry about me. I know I'm way hotter than old Huey, or at least I keep telling myself that. Sorry, where was I? Ah, digesting. <laughs> digesting cake. I find at the moment I can take something in a film, a book, a photograph even, and then take it for a walk, or in my case, a run. In instead of listening to an audiobook or document while on my 90-minute runs, I've just been running. I cannot stress how much of a new thing this is for me personally, to be alone in my own head, to actually pause to consider how I feel about something, to, well, for lack of a better metaphor, or is it analogy? Digest it. So what have I been digesting? The Lord of the Rings Trilogy Extended Edition. When mulling over this piece and thinking about what I wanted to say about arguably the seminal trilogy of my lifetime thus far, don't even come at me with anything else. What even comes close? I mean, you know, maybe Pirates of the Caribbean. That trilogy ended, that's why it counts. Sure, there may made a few more, but if you want to talk about thematic arcs, character journeys, and big blowout finales, Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End was a trilogy ender. In order to be open for consideration, a trilogy must be finished. And Marvel? I mean, they have some great moments, but none of their trilogies stand alone. You can't watch Iron Man 3 and really get the full experience without having watched Iron Man 2 and a half, Avengers. Remember when everyone made jokes that Avengers was going to be Iron Man 3, but then it like ended up being an awesome ensemble movie? And I'm, I'm totally going off script here. Where was I? Uh, yeah, the Marvel movies, they don't stand alone as trilogies. Oh man, I should just do a whole piece on trilogies. 
John Wick's John Wick exists. Let's, let's just move on. Nothing comes close to the sheer cinematic achievement of Lord of the Rings, but that's just hot air, isn't it? Why am I, strangely Timothy Duisberg, writing about it in this, the year of our Lord, 2020? Funny how saying the year of our Lord before a year kind of stopped being cool when it changed to 20-something, huh? And you gotta love the open-endedness of that. Like, which Lord? I know the Christian Jehovah is the implicit Lord, but it might just as well be the Lord of the Rings, and he does not share power. Why am I writing about it? Because it mattered to me when I was a teenager, and in my 30s, I've found it still matters to me. This past weekend, I found that you can go home even if you are changed beyond recognition. Ever since I started traveling extensively almost a decade ago, I have found it ever more difficult to return to my hometown. Now, this is a tri tricky subject to talk about. It is so easy for someone who has been away to come across as an elitist because they have had the privilege of firsthand experience of other places. I got into a bit of a tiff with a friend because they disparage people who have opinions in the Paris v. London debate and Let's just put it simply, I have strong opinions about that debate, but that's for another time. As is mostly talking about coming home, but this idea of coming back to something after you've been away. And yet, any great journey does change a person. Although sometimes those whose journeys are locative fail to see that journeys of those whose physical bodies do not move are just as valid. Case in point, I have wandered all over the earth, slept under bridges, stared down the barrels of machine guns, and one time accidentally insulted the entire Pixar staff to their faces. And let me tell you, that last one scares the poo out of me to this day. But my sister has bought a house, gotten married, and is currently raising three children. Her adventure is just as valid, difficult, and transformative as mine. Which brings me back to The Lord of the Rings. It was one of the first lessons and transformative journeys I ever got. I mean, just think about that story. Frodo has an idyllic life in the Shire, leaves it voluntarily, has everything horrible happen, and then goes back to the Shire. I know in the books there's the whole scourging of the Shire thing where Saruman has gone to the Shire and he's wrecked the place, but Something that has always struck me really deeply about the films is that they go on this huge journey and then it's a little bit more like The Hobbit. They come home and the Shire is still the Shire and no one realizes that they saved the world. It doesn't matter what you do away, you come home and home hasn't changed. It's you that has changed. And I'm still processing that. That idea of home and coming home and everything, I, I keep touching on it in this essay and it's not fully processed and I, I'll probably come back to it at some point. But The Lord of the Rings is one of those works of art that because there are two different versions of it, the film version where they come back and nothing has changed and the book version where everything has changed forever, it's sort of this counterpoint, it's a conversation, it's a retelling with a different meaning almost it but not a different meaning like a different exploration of the same type of thing is it home that has changed when you come home or is it you that has changed or have you both changed or have neither of you changed i'm starting to sound like a rambling northern california pot smoker i'm so sorry let me get back on the script
When I was about eight, someone gave me a copy of The Hobbit. No idea who. I might even have found it on my own in the mobile library that pulled up one day. My parents were vaguely aware of it, and since Tolkien went to church once or something, he was approved literature. I loved it. Loved it! The whole thing was so, so... Good isn't the word. It was right. Somehow it felt like the right book for the moment I was in. It wasn't until years later, I think it was about 11, which I know it's only three years, but when you're eight and then you're 11, it's like an entirely different country. That a family friend said something about Bilbo's 111th birthday party, and I found that The Hobbit was just the tip of an iceberg that I'm still trying to come to grips with now in my 32nd year. I will never forget that day. I asked about Bilbo's birthday, and my friend, family friend told me that it was in a book called The Lord of the Rings. I asked what that was and was told, it's the sequel to The Hobbit. It turns out Bilbo's magic invisibility ring is special, and Bilbo starts getting this uncontrollable urge to put on the ring. I was over the moon. This was like hearing that someone had not only cooked you a full Scottish breakfast, but there was also second breakfast, and cakes, and cupcakes. I devoured the trilogy over the course of a single weekend and then spent every free moment of the next two weeks reading it again. By the time the films came out, I had strong opinions about every single casting decision, camera angle in a trailer, and marketing tagline. And yet, all of that fell away when I saw the first film. In celebrating my 14th, a very propitious number, birthday the week before, my friends and I went and saw the film at the Colossus Theater in Surrey, British Columbia. It didn't matter that we got bad seats. That my friend Micah and I had to basically sit on top of a subwoofer and every time the ring bounced or jostled or got looked at by someone, the wub of the bass would lift us out of our chairs. It didn't matter that the film started at midnight and I thought I would fall asleep. I was in heaven. No. Better. I was in Middle Earth. All my doubts about Peter Jackson and the crew were swept away. Over the next three years, I attended something like 22 combined screenings of the three films bought the extended editions on DVD, and participated in internet message boards talking about the movies. I plowed through every documentary, commentary, sideshow, and menu, drinking it all in. I loved the books, but I also loved the films as a separate thing. For the first time in my life, I was able to hold the contradictory notion in my head that two different versions of a story could exist, and they could both be great. The films didn't have Tom Bombadil, but that didn't erase him from the book. Frodo was pretty in the films, but that didn't mean I saw Elijah Wood's face when I read my battered paperback copy of the entire trilogy. I honestly have no understanding of people who get hung up on that sort of thing. I remember sitting in church at the age of 14, fortuitous number, and hearing my parents' pastor, Kevin, yes, his name was Kevin, preach a thundering denouncement of the passion of the Christ. Not because the film was torture porn, not because it was vaguely anti-Semitic, not because... Uh, Mila Gibson? Mila Gibson? Nailed it. No. This fundamentalist was having a whinge because after seeing a trailer for the film, he couldn't stop picturing Jim Caviezel when he prayed. 
I still chuckle when I think of someone with a mind that weak. He also kicked someone out of the church for skipping one Sunday to run the Boston Marathon, so he's a kind of a tool. Where was I? Oh yes, the films. I saw the true possibility of film. Yes, but even more than that, I saw the possibility of stories. That stories could be told, retold, reshaped, revisited, relived. Stories were the parts of our lives we could always go back to. Stories were magic. The deeper I got into the special features on those DVDs, the more I realized I wanted to tell stories. I wanted to make people feel transported the way I felt transported whenever I popped in one of those 12 magical discs. Those films, their accoutrement, and the books they were based upon as a group became a big part of why I am an artist, a storyteller, and a writer. Now, I know that everyone has media like this from their childhood, the wonderful phantasms that made an impression on them at just the right moment. For a generation, it was Star Wars. For people a bit younger than myself, it might be the Marvel films or Avatar The Last Airbender. It's difficult to predict what will have staying power. Star Wars has slipped in my estimation. It's not because of the slipshod way the property has been managed since Disney bought it, and I'm not talking about the prequels, extended universe, or any of that. The original films prove this all on their own. There was a time when they loomed larger than Lord of the Rings in my mental landscape. I dreamed of joining the Rebel Alliance and flying an X-Wing, and savvy LucasArts had just the video game for me. X-Wing Alliance, best flying game ever. I will fight you. But I found as I've gotten older that the films have diminished for me. They have faded and gone into the West. I still adore them, but now I watch them in the same way I watch anything with Kurt Russell or Nicolas Cage, several bevies deep with pizza grease on my fingers. Star Wars has become a Rocky Horror Picture Show that I always watch with a couple of old friends. And that's just how we like it. It makes us happy, but it doesn't take me back. I know many folks, particularly nowadays, are consistently seeking the thing that will take them back, and then shredding anything that fails in the attempt, but I don't. I don't look for that. Instead, I find myself seeking a new horizon, a new adventure, or frankly, desperately trying to enjoy home when the adventure is done. So imagine my pleasant surprise when I put in Disc 1 of Fellowship of the Ring Extended Edition on DVD last Saturday morning, and immediately became 14. Good number. Good number. Years old again. The opening bits about history becoming legend and legend becoming myth and things being forgotten slid by and then the film was in the Shire. I spent the next 45 minutes or so openly weeping because it was like seeing old friends again. It was right. For me, the Lord of the Rings films will always be the ultimate moment in cinema. That moment when CGI, yes, but also animatronics, makeup, models, forced perspective, and every other trick in the book was used to barely pull it off. To this day, the whole thing seems insane, and yet, there it is. The story is told. Ian's home and McKellen are disparate sizes, and looking at them sharing tea in the kitchen of Bag End, I still believe. When I sat down to write this piece, I'd intended to talk about whether the films hold up or not, but that's not up for debate in my mind. For me, they absolutely do. 
Sure, there are moments of dodgy CGI, laughable prosthetics, and Kate Blanchett's nails. Seriously, what the frick is up with those nails? They're the most, like, turn of the millennium shit. They are perfectly manicured nails. She does not live in a forest. She does not do magic. Her nails are so, they're just, they're, I can't, I can't with those nails. I'm like, all I can imagine, I just like see nails like that. And I'm like, how do you hold things? How do you pick things up? Like you're waving at Frodo and all I see is like four little spoons on the end of your fingers. I'm like, are you doing that much coke? Is that why you're like, a queen and all shall love me and despair. Coke, coke. It's just like five coke nails all in her fucking fist all at once. I just can't handle it. Okay, okay, sorry. But the thing is, other than the nails, all the problems I had with it were problems I had I could have pointed out at the time when I saw it when I was 14, the dodgy CGI and the bad prosthetics. The story is still there. The best parts are still there. The non-toxic male affection where they kiss each other on the forehead and whether it's gay or not is beside the point because they love each other deeply. The swords are still cool. The ents are still booraroming, and there are not nearly enough shots of the great beasts pulling grand. Why do you design animals that cool and then only show them in three frickin' shots? As a kid before the movies, one of my favorite lines in the books was, Great beasts drew it. And I was like, what are these great beasts? And then the, in the movie, it's like, bloop, bloop. That's it. That's all you get. Ugh. Tease. For me, the films hold up. Even more than taking me where I want to go, they take me where I need to go. And I think that might be the point. Or at least I thought it was as I paused six miles away from the cabin, breathing hard, hands on my knees, sweat stinging my eyes. Art is about the journey without expectation. If you approach with expectation, you're likely going to be disappointed. At least that's the lesson I got from Lord of the Rings this time. I look forward to finding out what the next one is. It's a dangerous business going out your door. You step out onto the road, and there's no telling where you'll be swept off to. I need more coffee. Hokey fright. Have you heard about odd didactic metaphors and textbooks. As a part of my return to academia to get my history degree, I also have to take a number of classes and subjects outside my desired field of historical study. These graduation requirements range across all liberal arts topics, don't tell Seneca, from anthropology to psychology. These requirements are satisfied by 101 courses aimed at 18-year-old college froshers so I sometimes find myself a bit, uh, look, I'm not saying I'm smarter or better than an 18-year-old who has just arrived at college. They are intelligent human beings with thoughts and feelings who are just getting to experience life for the first time, but boy howdy, is it hard to be along for that ride with them sometimes. The vast majority of them just haven't 
done anything. I watched a professor look like he was going to strangle a girl to death as she opined that, like, 9-11 was super overblown and, like, really not that big of a deal. And, like, everybody overreacted and they were just kind of dumb to do that. I think the only thing that spared her life was the fact that she was born after the attacks of 11 September 2001. I could discuss why I think that the United States did overreact a bit, but the fact of the matter is, if you were alive then, you remember it feeling a bit freaky. It was a happening, as the kids say. Do, do they say that? I'm yelling to an empty cabin. It would be creepy if a voice answered. Point is, I'm starting to understand why my father's eyes just glaze over whenever I offer an opinion about anything. He's still wrong about Canadian whiskey being better than Islay Scotch, but that's an argument for another time. I had a course last fall where a professor used the slideshows to show us dozens of memes and clips from films. I cannot for the life of me tell you what a gif of Bart Simpson has to do with psychology of gender, but I don't think my professor could either. Insult to injury? I took the course because my graduation requirements say I need a psychology credit to graduate. That class, with its delightful memes and a $130 textbook written by the professor, doesn't count as a psychology class, even though it has psychology in the title. Also, the textbook is full of memes. Did you need me to state that information? Speaking of over-the-priced, for-profit memetic textbooks that publish a new edition every year, that brings me back to the topic at hand. I found a metaphor in my biology textbook that is pretty much proof of why every STEM major needs to take some creative writing credits, at least if they're gonna write textbooks. At the very least, I don't think this paragraph would exist if they had. <clears throat> and I quote, The nucleus is the largest and most prominent organelle in most eukaryotic cells. In fact, the nucleus is generally larger than any prokaryotic cell. If a cell were the size of a large lecture hall or movie theater, the nucleus would be the size of an 18-wheel semi-trailer truck parked in the front rows. I hardly know where to start. Nicolas Cage is the romantic counterpart to an attractive woman 15 years his junior makes more sense than this. Like, what is this? Let's break this down a bit. What are we looking at here? They want me to understand that the nucleus is what? About 5 to 10% the volume of a cell or maybe 10 to 25%? See, the problem is that they are comparing two things of a somewhat variable size. As my Pilot House co-host Sarah Shea pointed out, when I called her wheezing with laughter trying to read this paragraph, what the frick is a large lecture hall or movie theater? That's a variable size, my dude. So we're already building on sandy ground. When a piece of writing says a large lecture hall or movie theater, that size is entirely relative. I have been to the Omnimax IMAX in Austin, Texas to watch Mission Impossible 4 with Elijah Wood, so I've been in a pretty big movie theater. Look, I am fully aware that that is a total 
unnecessary name drop, but since we're already talking about ridiculous sentences, and that is one that I can technically utter without lying and have never before had call to use, and arguably never will again, I used it here. I've also been to the local independent cinema in Billingham, Washington, love you Pickford, where their large room is smaller than a medium lecture hall at Western Washington University. Putting aside the TARDIS-like nature of the hall in question, what about the semi-truck? Just to make sure my rudimentary knowledge of all things related to my father's profession wasn't leading me astray, I went and googled how big is an 18-wheeler. Well, I actually typed how gis an 18-wheeler, but Google knew what, what I wanted. Anyway, according to the search results, 7280 feet. The average length of an 18-wheeler varies greatly depending on the type of cab they are driving, but the overall average is 70 to 80 feet long. Also, depending on the length of an 18-wheeler's cab by wheelbase, usually averaging between 245 inches and 265. The, the point is, we have constructed a metaphor using not one, but two variable objects. And that's not even touching on the fact that this is just a bizarre coupling of objects. Using two objects of specific size in a metaphor makes sense. Like you, if you had told me that the nucleus was the size of a ping pong ball inside of a basketball, that's at least two things of specific dimensions. Actually, I just did another Google search while writing this, and while the size of a ping pong ball has been set at 1.57 inches by the International Ping Pong Ball Federation, the size of a regulation basketball varies from 9.07 to 9.23 inches, depending on how hard it's been inflated. And before some nutter slides into my DMs to inform me that technically basketballs are 9.43 to 9.57 inches, I'm using the Women's National Basketball Association figures, you misogynist pedant. Pedant? I can't even, I don't even care. You're the pedant. Pedant? Pedant. 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 Nailed it. Somewhat variable inflations aside, the spread is still small enough that the idea is clearly communicated. Our 18-wheeler is the equivalent of saying, picture a large ball with a slightly smaller, yet still large ball inside of it. By the way, I keep saying metaphor, but this might be an analogy, but since like or as aren't being used, I don't think it is. I think an analogy is meant to be literal and a simile is figurative. Feel free to DM me about that because I do actually care about that, but I don't care about balls. At least not basketballs. Hey boys. <clears throat> trying to find a clear definition of the difference between a metaphor and a simile is like trying to find a needle in a haystack, which is a fine comparison since one is small and the other is large and the small is hard to find in the large. Speaking of hard to find objects, Apparently, we've completely lost the truck. Because a couple of pages later in my textbook is the section about the cell's cytoskeleton, which gives it shape and structure and controls diffusion or whatever. But it also makes it, you know, full of stuff. So, again, quoting from my textbook, If you imagine yourself inside a cell the size of a big lecture hall, it might come as a surprise that you could barely see that big rig of a nucleus parked in the front rows. So now we've got not only a big rig in a theater, but now this bastard is parked in the front rows. Bloody parked. I have so many questions. What is it doing there? Is the truck watching a film? Why is there only one truck interested? How did it get inside? Is this a Kool-Aid man scenario where the truck has crashed through the wall and everyone involved just decided, this is fine. Was anyone injured? Who made it happen? I mean, 
Like, is this like the movie Cars? And they're like, but why is the lecture theater such that the truck is a remarkably large object? Oh gosh. All I'm saying is, get someone to check your writing at least once. If you're trying to be relatable, at least use some things I can, you know, relate to. Barring that, at least use things I can look up if I don't understand them. Like, I don't know how big a football pitch is, but I know I can look it up or an Olympic swimming pool or, you know, instead I'm left with a semi-truck parked in a theater. It's like that scene in the Phantom Tollbooth where Milo goes to a house with four doors labeled the giant, the dwarf, the fat man, and the thin man. And when he knocks upon them, the same completely average sized dude answers each time, always excusing himself with a variation on, I am the fattest thin man in the world. It's like an Adam Rayner situation and it just hurts my head. This entire discussion of cinephile big rigs has put me in mind of my all-time favorite fun fact. <clears throat> Did you know that if you took an adult blue whale and laid it down on a regulation basketball court between the baskets, that the game would be canceled? I'm not saying college is good, but at least now you've heard about it. Song of the Week. I was doing a live stream about a week and a half ago and someone requested that I play this song. This is a song of mine called Bonfire. And I realized I didn't have it memorized anymore because I wrote this song, I was really excited about it. I made a music video for it. Uh, if you search for Strangely Bonfire, you'll find it. Uh, and I set a piano on fire and played the piano while it was on fire. It's really cool, this music video. and. Uh, and the, I got my friend Unwoman to play some cello on the track and I was really excited about it. I was like, this is gonna be a big thing. People are gonna love this. It's gonna be this new direction for my music and everything and it just fell flat. And honestly, until that stream uh, a week and a half ago, I really thought that there was nobody outside of my close friends who even remembered that the song existed. So it was really nice to kind of have this blast from the past come back and uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I just thought I would put the song on this week's episode of the podcast. So I hope you all enjoy this. This is my song, Bonfire. I woke up to winter this morning In the night the whole world went to sleep Cloudy skies and cold Enough to make me want to weep. Got out my old box full of letters sent to me by lovers and friends past. Though they're filled with sweet hope and sentiment, they form a chain that ties me to the past close your eyes against the haze parade
50 word movie review. Long shot. This is my favorite romantic comedy of the last 10 years. The story seems like it's going to be a run of the mill Seth Rogen comedy about masturbating or whatever, and then it takes you places you never expected. I've seen it three times and always cried my eyes out at the end. Mailbag. I'm not currently in Bellingham, but you can still send paper mail to, strangely, 1000 Harris Avenue, Bellingham, Washington, 98225. Also, in light of current regulations in many places, I'll be relaxing my communication style for this podcast to include email and Patreon messages, so you don't have to worry about leaving the house to stay in touch. You can send emails to strangely.dusberg at gmail.com. My last name is spelled D-O-E-S-B-U-R-G. I look forward to hearing from you. Well, that about does it for this week's episode of Strangely and Friends, the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Strangely and Friends, the podcast is produced in a secret, undisclosed location by me, Strangely Duesberg. The podcast is made possible by my incredible supporters on Patreon, and I'd like to give an extra special thanks to my executive producer patron, Kim Truett. Uh, Kim is just amazing incredible for supporting me thank you kim uh yeah you check out patreon.com strangely to find out how you can help me make more of whatever this is thank you again so much for listening friends i know that the world that we live in right now is one that feels very pulled apart and disconnected and like it's really difficult to connect with people and I'm so happy that I have this podcast and that I can share some of my thoughts with you. Please get in touch if you have thoughts you'd like to share with me or thoughts that you'd like me to share with the other listeners of this podcast. I would love this to be a place where more people can connect. Until next week, I hope you are somewhere safe and of a comfortable temperature, and I hope at least one good thing happened to you today. Because if at least one good thing happened to you today, then it's not all bad. I'll see you next week, friends. Strangely and Friends, the podcast is a Herringbone Society production. If a cell were the size of a large lecture hall or movie theater...
God, it's gonna be so hard for me to read this. Oh, sh okay, okay, I can do this, I can do this. <laughs> Shit. <clears throat> okay, we got this. The nucleus is the largest and most. <laughs> no, I'm getting punched. If a cell were the size of a large lecture hall or movie theater, the nucleus would be the size. <laughs> Shit. If a cell were the size of a large lecture hall or movie theater, the nucleus. <laughs> Damn it! I can get through this. If a cell were the size of a large lecture hall. 